0: In Canada, two people are murdered every single day. Mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, people with hopes and dreams and plans for tomorrow, just like every one of us. And the number of people who have lost their lives to homicide here just continues to climb. It's increased by over 20% in just the past five years. And if you are an Indigenous person living in Canada, you are seven times more likely to be murdered than a non-Indigenous person. Our homicide rate here is higher than in Japan, China, Australia, or France. And can someone get away with murder in Canada? Yes, in many cases. Many police services across the country report a less than 50% close rate. Canadians are more likely to be killed by someone they know than by a stranger, but murder by a stranger accounts for a high number of cases that just traditionally haven't been solved. But recent advances in science may change all of that. Specifically, something called genetic genealogy is being used to catch more and more killers and close more cases right across our country. I'm Ellen White. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Whereabouts Unknown, The Murderer in Their Midst, the story of Roger DeShane. At this point, we want to advise our listeners that this episode includes mention of murder, extreme violence, and sexual assault. This episode is not suitable for children or sensitive listeners. Now, to start off today's podcast episode, I wanted to talk just a bit about genetic genealogy, because genetic genealogy plays a big role in the story we're about to discuss. Now, here's how it works. In Canada, there are a number of consumer DNA companies. The two biggest and the ones that you might be familiar with are 23andMe and Ancestry. You can order a test online for about $100, and when it arrives, you're provided with a little vial that you need to spit into. You cap it up, mail it off, and in about six to eight weeks, you can log into your account and see a wealth of information there about your heritage, your relatives, and more. Ancestry and 23andMe users have the option to upload their raw DNA data file to a database called GEDmatch to get an even broader picture of who they are and where they have come from. GEDmatch users have the option to allow law enforcement to look at their DNA profiles. Now, law enforcement can make a DNA profile from evidence that they have collected from a crime scene, like blood, semen, or other body fluids. They upload this profile to GEDmatch, and then they look at the DNA matches that result. The DNA matches that they find there, if any, are likely going to be from extended family members of a perpetrator but they give genealogists a chance to build out a family tree. Police can then take the names on this family tree and eliminate the people there one by one until the identity of the perpetrator is the last one standing. And while the process may sound pretty simple, it actually can take many months or even years to reach that end result. Now let's take a look at a long unsolved homicide that happened on July 10, 1980, in East Ferris Township. East Ferris is a lovely, welcoming, typical little northern Ontario township with about 5,000 residents, just minutes outside of North Bay. On July 10, 1980, young mother Micheline St. Amour had just finished lunch with her husband and two-year-old daughter. When her husband returned to work for his afternoon shift, Micheline like most young moms, likely set about tidying and organizing her kitchen and playing with the daughter that she loved so much. Shortly after Michelin had set her daughter down for her afternoon nap, there was a knock at the door. When friendly Michelin answered, 21-year-old Roger DeShane stood there on her step. Michelin had no way of knowing what his intentions were, but whatever lies he told her on that day resulted in him getting access to the house and to Micheline. Roger knew exactly what he intended to do when he arrived at the small house in East Ferris that day. He'd brought with him a hunting knife. With her young daughter in the very next room, Roger forced Micheline into her bedroom, where he sexually assaulted her and then brutally and sadistically stabbed her with his hunting knife more than 25 times. Young Michelin Saint-Amour, no doubt frantic about her daughter's safety, was stabbed in the stomach, liver, chest, and hands so many times, and so savagely, that many of the wounds penetrated her small body completely in what are referred to as through-and-through wounds. When young Roger Duchesne, barely out of his teens, walked out of Michelin's house that day, he had no way of knowing that the blood and semen he'd left behind contained something we now call DNA, and that a process not even heard of yet called genetic genealogy would cause him to face the justice he would avoid like a coward for four long decades. So here is what we know about Roger Duchesne. Roger was one of two boys born to Dan Duchesne and Leah Seguin of North Bay, Ontario we're told that Roger was a quiet child and that his very early years and upbringing seemed pretty normal. Family members describe the family as being pretty religious and we see that Roger was baptized as a Roman Catholic in North Bay. The brother who was raised with Roger by all accounts is a decent, hardworking individual who is respected in his community. So what went wrong with Roger? When we look at people who commit horrific crimes filled with this kind of violence, we often look for some precipitating incident, something that tipped the scales and caused an otherwise normal person to choose a path of deviance. We look for some kind of explanation for how the monster was created. Now, the Duchesnes were not without their own tragedies. In 1964, when Roger was just five, His aunt was shot dead by his uncle, who then turned the gun on himself. In 1971, Roger's maternal grandmother disappeared from her home in North Bay. One minute she was at home with her family, and the next, she had just vanished. It would be several days before she was found in a wooded area by Roger's father, deceased. Roger would have been 12 at the time. These incidents are tragic and we don't mean to minimize the loss and grief that these families must have experienced. But did these incidents in any way shape the young man that Roger would become? Roger seems to have had several jobs through the years and we've heard of him working at the long-closed Lee Jeans factory and other local businesses before he seemed to settle into more long-term employment at the North Bay Psychiatric Hospital, moving to the North Bay Regional Health Center when it closed. He had similar jobs in both healthcare locations, interacting with and having responsibility for many vulnerable patients. Now, Roger's romantic relationships always seemed problematic. He got married just a year after killing Michelin. He and his wife have a child in 1982 and another in 1984, but by 1987, the marriage is over. And when we look at Ontario Court Judgment File Number 609 about the divorce proceedings between Roger Duchesne and his former wife, it says that the husband and wife have accused each other with criminal and other offenses. These complaints resulted in police attendance at the matrimonial home, investigations by the Children's Aid Society, and in one case, laying a criminal charge for assault against the husband. After the marriage ended, he entered into a serious relationship, then another, then another, ultimately leaving partner number four to return to partner number three before moving on to yet another partner. Let's hear from one of Roger's former partners about what it was like to be in a relationship with him, at least in the early stages.
1: He came on to me like that, and it was a little fast, but from what I saw of him, he was quiet, gentle, kind, fun to be around, just a generally nice man, and I hadn't had that in a long time, almost.
0: So while Roger is in a relationship for the second time with partner number three, who is also partner number five, without him ever knowing about it, the wheels are turning behind the scenes. A close family member of Roger's has sent a sample, less than a teaspoon of saliva, into one of the consumer DNA companies like Ancestry or 23andMe. And that relative gave permission for their raw DNA profile to be uploaded to GEDmatch, where law enforcement was able to access it and know that they had a family link to the murderer of Micheline Saint Amour. Police narrowed it down to just two people Roger and his only sibling. The sibling was quickly eliminated, and when police reached out to Roger to request a meeting with them, he agreed. But Roger had no intention of ever meeting with police, knowing that after 40 years, he was about to face justice. Instead, he went home, took all of the pills he could get his hands on, and then climbed into bed next to his unknowing partner and prepared to die. Partner number five tells us that she recognized that something was up, and although she had no knowledge of what Roger had done in years previous She knew that he was attempting to take his own life that night, just as his uncle had so many years before after killing his aunt. But Roger's partner acted quickly and got medical attention for him on that night in October 2020. Then, in an incredible twist of fate, Roger DeShane, employee of the North Bay Psychiatric Hospital and then the North Bay Regional Health Center, was admitted to the psychiatric unit of the very hospital that he worked at. And while there, two very important things would happen. Roger would meet his most recent partner, who we'll call partner number six, a fellow patient of the psychiatric unit. And most importantly, he would discard a piece of chewing gum in a trash can that observant police would collect and analyze, giving them the proof they needed that Roger DeShane, the shy, quiet coin collector, was actually the man who had trapped, tortured, and killed a young mum some 40 years before. Roger slipped up that day when he unthinkingly tossed his chewed gum into a trash can, According to one of his former partners, he was usually pretty cautious and had been for years about making sure to leave no trace of his DNA behind.
1: Other reason, you see, he packed his own lunch, but, you know, like I I bought him a thermos for hot stuff and he carried his own fork, knife and spoon and his own dishes and he took his own bowl and he brought everything home. Right. And, And that's why... They had to follow him. He had once, uh, I didn't know at the time, the cops told me there were 12 to 15 detectives on his case following him for two years. Yeah. yeah. And that, and the last year that I was with him, I was being followed too. Right. And Brandon said, Mom, you know, I think somebody's following us. I go, Oh, don't be ridiculous. Who would be following us? you know like we're no <laughs> so they were following him and they were looking for a throw away DNA right because they could have asked me to bring them a DNA but there's no proof you see they have to see him throw it
0: away right now let's hear from that same partner about how she found out that the man she had loved and cared for for years was being charged with murder. So you've lived with this man for seven years, you know, shared bed and board. You know him as well as anybody could. And then all of a sudden, one day, you get a call from the OPP. Did they tell you what they wanted to talk to you about? Well, we had already broken up. And I was living in Stratford.
1: And they said they wanted to discuss Roger DeShank. That's all. I had no idea about the possible murder. So we made the appointment and I showed up. And at the time, I said to them, I said, well, what's he being investigated for? And they said, murder. I said, well, that doesn't surprise me. And they said, why does it not surprise you? I said, because I've never seen a person turn their emotions on and off so casually.
0: Roger is arrested. He's held in custody for several months before making a decision to enter a guilty plea to the murder charge. At his sentencing, he said that what he did to Micheline Saint-Amour was nothing short of atrocious, pure evil. He then added that he was 100% guilty of her murder. He acknowledged that his actions destroyed a whole family. He closed by saying that his prison sentence will never be enough for what I have done. Roger DeShane will serve at least 15 years before he will be eligible to apply for parole. He will then be 78. So is that the end of the story of Roger DeShane? Did a man who demonstrated such extreme sexual and physical violence offend in some way before or since? Let's hear his former partner's thoughts on that that somebody who's committed this kind of crime, a really horrific rape and murder, they planned it for oh. some period of time, they brought everything along to carry it out, that that kind of person probably wouldn't just do something like that once. So what do you no. think? Is it possible that he harmed somebody before or since Michelin saint death in 1980?
1: Yes, now you see, I believe he did that next girl.
0: And by that next girl, you're talking about Dawn Carice, that lady who went missing from the North Bay Psychiatric Hospital when he worked there. Yeah. Okay. And and is that just, you know, kind of your intuition? Is it something that he said? Oh, he never
1: even... uh, I mean, he talked about work at the psychiatric center all the time, but all he talked about was um, driving people, okay? Like, so... You know, if somebody had doctor's appointment, he drives them. And then they wanted to visit their sister, so he knew where all these people lived. He knew their habits. Yeah. So he had more information for these people than a normal person would get. Right. Okay, so he drove them around. He's got access to all the paperwork. He'd have their files in in his hand for certain things right? So he could find all the addresses out. He could switch his feelings on and off. And normal people can't do that. I mean, if I'm crying or upset about something, I'm going to cry. I can't stop that. I can't change who I am. But you see, he, if he didn't want to talk about it, you didn't talk about it. And, 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 Anybody who can be so warm and loving and then turn around and ignore you surprises the hell out of
0: me. Well, Roger DeShane surprised the hell out of a whole lot of people. And that's what makes people like him so dangerous. They can be our neighbors, our cousins, even our lovers. We can meet them on dating sites, at church picnics, or at the grocery store in the produce aisle. We can even place our trust in them when we are residents of a psychiatric institution or a general hospital. Shy, quiet Roger DeShane spent his time, or convinced those closest to him that he did, building intricate jigsaw puzzles and meticulously cataloging each coin that he found and purchased. And that kind of killer, to my mind, is one of the most dangerous predators out there a monster who walks around in the guise of a normal human being, but who instead is stalking, watching, and waiting for the perfect moment to strike and kill. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of The Murderer in Their Midst, the Roger DeShane story, where we look at a number of unsolved missing persons and murder cases in the area Roger lived and worked in. And you'll hear from the experts on how likely it is that he has been a law-abiding citizen before and after the horrific crime he's currently been sentenced for, the murder of Micheline Saint-Amour. I'm Ellen White. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whereabouts Unknown. <laughs>
1: Thank <laughs> you.